This is a new era brought to you by Hennessy. Hello and welcome. I'm Hannah O'Connell and you're listening to A New Era, a podcast brought to you by Hennessy. For decades, Hennessy has been synonymous with hip-hop culture, from its affiliation with heavyweight brand ambassadors like Nas, Erica Badu and recently ASAP Ferg, to being name-checked in countless tracks from Tupac to Drake. But now with the hip-hop scene in Ireland stronger than ever and growing, we think it's time to bring it home and see what's going on in the changing musical landscape of Ireland's new era. So the first guest, and we have some very exciting ones coming up over the next couple of weeks, but the first guest in the studio for a brand new podcast, A New Era, is Mathman. Hello. Hey, what's happening? What's happening? Introduce yourself a little bit for people that don't know you. Tell us who you are, what do you do? Um, I'm a music producer and a, a creative from Dublin City. Um, I've been a DJ um, on the, the Irish and mostly Dublin circuit for about... 15 odd years now and um, i've been making music as mathman uh, the producer for next to somewhere between 10 and 12 properly um, and i'm part of the group that people probably know me most for uh, mango and mathman so mm. um yeah that's that's me that's, can that's, you believe that's it's been it. 10 to 12 years since this all started for you what was your can you remember back to your first introduction into music oh uh, it's a it's a an amazing story for me. I love it. Um, I, I was kind of like the young one on the estate that I grew up in. Mm. Um, and most of my peer group were like maybe four, five years older than me. So they used to put me onto everything, like, you know, how to dress, you know, and this is the trainers you need to be wearing, you know, and this is how you act when you're, you know, around us and when you're, you know, grown up, blah, 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 blah. And we all play football together or whatever. But um, because they had a couple of years older than me, they were like big into clubbing at the time and that whole kind of rave scene was starting to, to you know kick off in Ireland in the very early 90s and uh, they got heavily into it and a couple of them started to become DJs and none of them like really had any major success at the time um, because the scene was still developing and I think they just loved it as a hobby but um, I remember going into one of my friend's houses. Um, and how old day. are you at this point? Um, I am about between 12 and 13 years of age. Okay, so at, that's at very cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like really young, really young. You're like um, the kid from This Is England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's call me that dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so went into the gaff one day and for years they had been making me like mixtapes so that what they used to do was they used to put the best dance music that they had on one side and then they put the best hip hop music that they had on the other side and they give it to me and they go, look, yeah, go home, listen to that or whatever, you know. And I used to always have to listen to the hip hop side when my man and I were out because it was just like raw. Like this is early NWA, early Snoop Dogg. Um, and and you're 12. Yeah, and I was a little too gangster. You know, <laughs> if my man had heard some, especially the skits that were on those albums at the time, um, like she'd be having none of it. So they used to make those for me. But the first time I ever saw somebody DJ was the day I walked into my mate's gaff. He lived like maybe five doors down from me and I walked in and I uh, said hello to his man. I was like, where's, where's Pablo? And she's like, he's upstairs. His name is Peter, but naturally, because he's from Dublin, everyone had a nickname, <laughs> you know? So where's Pablo? He's upstairs. So I start to walk upstairs, and all I just hear the tunes is like, doof, 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 doof. And uh, I, go into, I go into his bedroom. He's there with like two or three of the lads, and they're all just sitting there. And he's just at the top of his room with a set of old, any DJs out there that are kind of, you know, my vintage will remember the Cam Red Dwarfs, which are like, 
very early turntable and mixer combination, but they had this red skin on them that made them like look mad fly. And everyone was like, oh my God, but they, were, they weren't great decks. But he had a set of them, he's in there DJing. And I just sat there for like 20 minutes going, what is going Mesmerized. on? Mesmerized. Like completely, not only by the music, but by what he was doing. I'd never seen somebody, you know, beat match or, you know, mm. blend records together. And honestly, when you hear people talk about they had those life changing moments, you never really believe it until it happens to you. And that for me was truly a, a life changing moment. And within within two years of that that point, I had my own setup in my house. So what I did was I got a job at 14 um, in my local fruit and veg shop just to make some money to, you know, start buying records, start buying the equipment that you needed to become a DJ. Because to become a DJ back then, it was actually a massive commitment. It was a time commitment and it was also a financial commitment. It was commitment. an expense, absolutely. It was like, it's so like, expensive to become a DJ. Like you had to buy everything. You had to buy your decks, whether they were CDJs or 1210s. I bought both. Um, mixers, which you ran through like a, like a mad thing. Sound system, PA, and whatever else you needed. To, like you might buy a CDR to record mixes or whatever. So I worked in the fruit and veg store for like a year and a half or whatever. And I made enough money um, to buy everything that, that I needed. But I, even during that time, at, at 14, I started buying records, even though I didn't have a record player to, to play them on. I was just buying them because I knew. You had a plan. I had a plan, but my friends used to always tell me, see, that's a white label. You won't get that anywhere else. There's only like 50 of those in the country. And I'm like, white label? What the hell is that? Yeah. That's a promo. You look, There's only like 25 of those in the country. So I was like, okay, if these records are not going to be available in a year, I need to start buying them now because I love that one so much or I love that one so much. So that started like a whole addiction to not only vinyl, but also to music and to DJing that, you know, I still have a great passion for up until now. I feel like your story is the coolest thing ever. And it's what <laughs> people want to have in the arsenal to answer this question, but it's actually your real story. <laughs> yeah. Where are you coming from musically? So what genres are you buying when you're buying these records? It was mo at the time, see, um, it was, it was a kind of combination of hip hop and, and club music, but in terms of, there wasn't an awful lot of hip hop available in Ireland, especially on, on, on 12 inch record. Um, the club music that I was buying was what was available and it was what we would have heard on pirate radio in Dublin at the time. So what Club FM was playing, what Pulse was playing, Energy, all of those stations, you could only get those type of records in Ireland. Like we didn't have like a massive collection of drum and bass. We didn't have a massive collection of, you know, two-step or garage or anything like that. You know, the pillars of, t of kind of dance music culture in Ireland at the time were like house, techno, trance, trance and hard house. Mm. They were like the, the four that were like big. So you kind of had to take your pick of those and it might be like a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this because that's like, that's what you were hearing in the clubs as well when you went there. So um, yeah, it was like, it, it was it was each of those and the best of what I could get from all of those genres until the scene started to develop a little bit where, you know, the, the real genre that I, that I found great love for, which is breakbeat and, uh, and two-step garage. When that started to become a little bit more widely available, um, I was able to pick up bits and pieces um, in that. But like Ireland never really had like a great selection of, of you know, multiple or fringe genres at the time. So you had to kind of work with what you got. So you came to hip hop and then in term grime and garage through the production side of it. Yeah, was and there... listening as well. Like, cause you know, Ireland are sandwiched between the US and the UK. So you're getting bombarded with, you know, boom bap, and you know street hip hop from the UK 
and then you have these like emerging genres from, from sorry from the US and then mm. you have the emerging genres from the UK like grime and um, baseline um, and garage and when you start to hear that you know from prior radio tapes or stuff on the radio even whatever it might be you start to go wow I've never heard this before because I couldn't buy it in Ireland no, yeah. no one played it and you're like wow this is more exciting than anything that I've heard before so the tourist and the um, kind of uh, the interest in those genres didn't start to develop until I was like later in my teens when they when I started to get exposed to them when they started like to become a thing. And was lyricism ever something you considered or singing or rapping? <laughs> was that ever something? <laughs> oh, that's the I think it's the first time I've been asked that question. And me and Mango had that conversation like a long, long time ago. I remember like so very. So you were the DJ for the animators back in the day. Yeah, there was yeah. never a point in your career where no. you were. No, no, Jesus, no. Like, I, I do not want to be a rapper. And I never really have, except for when I was, like, maybe nine or ten, I remember having these, like, little notebooks that you you, you put, like, raps in. But, like, the, my raps that I was writing at the time were... Uh, I want to see these. No, they were, like, you know, the the scooter type of things. You know, put your hands in the air, you know, that type of stuff. <laughs> you know, it was, like, it was more, like... You were trying to write the first maniac, yeah, I think, I, rather than... You know, than... That was, that's what I could have been. But it was more so, like, hyping the crowd type of thing rather than... And still being the DJ rather than being, like, an MC. Um, and you but, and Mango had a conversation about this. Ah, uh, yeah, like, yeah, but like, I just brought it up, like, to make him laugh and tell him about it, you know, because I always say to Mango, anytime that we go to the studio, and if Mango goes in and does a rap, and he come back, you know, what you think, you know, what you think? I was like, bro, you know, that might need a hot 16 from me in there, you know, <laughs> just to finish the record off, you know, we'll just be yeah. winding him up all the time. And, you know, one day we got into it, he's like, what do you mean? Like, have you ever written lyrics? And I, I told him about that. Like, no, I never wrote lyrics to be a rapper. It was just yeah. more so like, I don't know what it was. But um, yeah, there you go. So getting back to the production, tell me about the first bit of equipment you bought. Can you remember it? Um, yeah, I can actually. Um, I don't know which one came first. Um, so much like DJing at the time, to become a producer was incredibly expensive. Um, you had to buy a PC, a tower, a powerful one. You needed to get... There was no such thing as cracked software, mm. which eventually, you know, flattened and changed the game for everybody. Um, so you had to invest in a lot of stuff. And uh, I, I always felt as a DJ, and I could see with a lot of the DJs that I, I was listening to at the time, was that a, a good DJ usually has a sense of what works on the dance floor. And usually they are inspired themselves to, to go, I want to write a record that I think will work on a dance floor. And I felt that way myself. I was like, I always had ideas. Like, I'd love it for a record went like this or did that or whatever, but I never knew how to do it. And uh, to, to get into producing was like way too expensive. So I started off on either, it was X Music or Music X or something like that on the PlayStation, right? I don't, I don't know what it was, something like X Music or something like that. Or it was Dance EJ. So Dance EJ was a CD-ROM that you could buy for a PC. Now, this is not like... There's this people is... alive that don't know what a CD-ROM is. It's not <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I still had the CD-ROM and the floppy disk <laughs> for the first couple of tunes that I had that written. Um, but they were the only things that I could afford at the time. And I'm talking, I'm now like 15, 16. And that, that CD-ROM might have been 60 quid to buy. And you got home and it was just like, it was literally kind of like painting by numbers for music. They would give you bits and you just kind of formulate that and try and like create a track out of that. There's very little synthesis, you know, and playing involved in it. So I did that for a while and, you know, I couldn't afford anything else mm. and that could only get me so far. So I stopped and I didn't revisit um, production for maybe another three to four years when I discovered Ableton 
for the first time. And when I discovered Ableton, that just changed everything for me because it was the piece of software that, that worked like I thought. Yes, and they're just user-friendly to yeah. a certain extent. Oh, totally, totally. So there was a long period where you were DJing where production hadn't even started to come into it for you totally. No, and in, if, if I'm really honest and look back on it now, those early kind of dalliances with music production were purely out of excitement, interest, and let me see what I can do. And when I knew it couldn't go any further than what I was you know, financially capable of, of doing, I had, I had to forget it. There was no way I had another, you know, three or four grand to invest in X amount of equipment to, to get yeah. it off the ground. So I had to leave it alone. And DJing was going so well for me at the time that um, I was happy to you do so. You were occupied yeah, with that. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I didn't have to worry about do it. Do you remember the first track you ever made? Oh, I... And do you first still one I ever it? put out or the first one I ever made? No, the first one you ever made. First one I ever made, yeah. And it was a real... It sounded like... It sounded like me trying to be Liam Howlett. Yeah. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> yeah, basically, I was like, it, it was a breakbeat song, um, very prodigy influenced. Um, that's all I remember of it. I can't even remember how it went, but it was all of those elements. But it was like, imagine the little version <laughs> of, of Liam Howlett. And they would have been massive at the time. <laughs> so you're hearing it and you just want to make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, it was, it was, it was really exciting. So then... When did you meet Mango? Did your relationship with him come before the animators or were you in with the other lads before then or how did that all start? Well, I've been producing for like a, a number of different uh, Irish artists. Actually, a few Irish artists and a, and a couple of UK artists. Um, I was producing Grime for a guy in the UK um, and his name was Nasty Jack from the Nasty Crew, which like Kano used to be involved in. And blah, nice. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, and this was like very, very early. And I was producing for like people like Rob Kelly and terrorists and like a few other of the kind of well-known Irish rappers of that time and then uh, one night in 2011 it was the summer of 2011 and um, this thing called the Lyricist Lounge started up in in Dublin and I was a friend of mine called John Ennis and DJ Flip and basically what it was was it, it was like a, a showcase night for producers, DJs, um, rappers, singers, whatever it might be but all within the kind of urban and street music genres. Mm -hmm. So we went to the Lyricist uh, Lounge and I went there with the sole purpose of taking part in the beat battle. So just to see what other producers were out there and, you know, test my shit against theirs. And about how long ago are we talking? This is 2011. Okay. So I went on the night and um, took part in the battle and I made it to the final. And the sound that was prevalent in Ireland at that time and maybe for a couple of years after that as well, was very much boom bap. It was traditional East Coast sounding hip hop. And I never really made that. The stuff that I made was always very, very More different. More UK lean in there. Yeah, totally. It was all very bass heavy, um, a lot of electronic sounds and very little sampling. And uh, when I went up against all the other producers in the, in the competition, people were just going crazy. I mean, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. And it, actually, that was the reason I set up the B Club eventually like the last couple of years so other producers could get that feeling could have that same feeling yeah it was like it was an amazing moment but anyway we, we did the beat battle and people were going crazy wow because most of what they heard that night was very similar yeah you and had night something came, fresh was like, and uh, got to the final and i we like was like we, we had like um just like multiple rounds in the finals we had to go again tiebreaker go again tiebreaker go again so it was going wild i eventually lost i lost a gi um and it was a, it was a great night it was a historic night for hip-hop i think um 
But when it was all said and done, I, I left the stage and I was walking, like, kind of back out into the crowd or whatever. And this, this fella just runs over to me and he's, like, tapping me on the arm. And I was like, oh, sorry. And he goes, um, oh, here, listen, man. I love your stuff, yeah. Um, I'd love if we could uh, work together, you know. Um, I think you, you, you're exactly what we've been looking for or whatever. And I was like, oh, cool, yeah. You know, we have a chat and we had a chat or whatever. Did and he have Mango. red hair by any chance? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was the red-headed regular. And... Um, we had a chat for a little while and he told me that he was part of a, a hip-hop collective called The Animators at the time and that they, they needed uh, a producer and they needed somebody that can, you know, help them get to where, where, they, where they're going to and uh, write music for them. And I was like, I'm really interested in that. I'm not working on a project right now. Um, I'd like to see more of you guys and what you guys can do and um, see if we, we can work together. So I went and met the whole kind of collective one day um, in an apartment in town. Everybody starts spitting, just like... I think they wanted to impress me. Yeah. They were like, yo, let's, let, me, let me get down. Let me get in, do my thing now, you know? Because I brought some beats and we just played them and they started rapping. And it, it was great. It was like, I, I felt really kind of enthused by their energy and I felt excited about some of the talent that was within mm. the group. And at the time, that group was like Wu-Tang. There was about 15. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just like about so to say. Many. And, uh, and a lot of different sounds. Totally, totally. And... As the animator started to evolve and become something else, some of those members stepped away and started to do their own thing. And we were left with, with the core of which, you know, most people uh, know or, or remember us as. So um, that was the genesis of the animators and how myself and Mango met. I think that's really interesting that he brought you to the animators because he obviously had this kind of grime intuition in him because he wasn't necessarily making grime with the animators. It wasn't a million miles off, but he wasn't just there yet. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. So where do you think we're at at the moment with the urban music scene in Ireland? Honestly, it, um, it's the best it's ever been. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's the best it's ever been and it's the healthiest it's ever been. Um, and it's the healthiest it's ever been in a sense that we no longer just have one strand of hip-hop in this country or yes. one strand of urban music in this country. Um, we now have grime, we have neo-soul, we have hip-pop, mm. you know, we have R&B, we've trapped. Drill. We've got, we've got drill, and drill is heavy right now. Really big you right know, now. It's, it's really massive. So that to me is, that to me, I never, I really never thought we would get to this point. Mm. Genuinely, coming from where we came from um, and coming from the hip hop scene in Ireland where it was stigmatized and pushed to the fringes. Not that long ago. We're talking four, five years ago when that was still a thing. And to come through that and see where we're at right now is an amazing thing. And it's so satisfying because I'm only, I'm one of the last people that were doing it then that's still doing it now. Yes. And to have, to, and to have come through that and see where we're at right now, I'm like, man, this is incredible. I wish, I was only starting now. Yeah. Because the landscape is much more wide open. And the energy in the genre. It's beautiful. And mm. there's so many other, um, there's so many other pockets of the country coming alive with this right now. That's not so much, it's, it, it's still Dublin centric. And this is where it's like, it's heaviest, but it's, it's happening all over the country now. We've had a great history with, Cork has had a, an, an amazing hip hop scene and urban music scene, Limerick too. Um, yeah, Limerick, but there's like Wexford, Sligo, like... I mean, if you look at the Midlands now, that's yeah. where Drill is the heaviest, like in the Midlands. And, and these outskirts like, cities going like Balbriggan, Dundalk, it's It's mad. crazy, but that to me is so inspiring, having come from where I've come from with this. It's like, now the energy is here. 
and like if this is the start of phase two in in the history of Irish urban music, then we are going to be in a very very exciting place. It is really exciting, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. Honestly, I get inspired by all of this on a, on a daily basis, looking around at the, the new artists that come through, seeing what they're trying to do, how they want to position themselves, the type of music that they're making, the creative challenges that they're coming up against, and um, even using <laughs> even using the local language from different parts of the country now is really exciting. Yeah. You know, because we have our Dublin slang or we have our Irish slang, but hearing bits that are coming out from all the different parts, it's, it's, it's really amazing. I get inspired by it. Well, I would absolutely love to see if we develop as a country our own genre, the way mm. the UK has grime and the States have rap. I would just love to see something like that come true. I don't know if it's an option. We're small, but... it's No, it's always an option. And never say never. I've been asked about this before. You, We will never get to that point until we start to challenge the norms, though. So what I see right now is I see a lot of the pillars that we talked about being created. So I see drill, I see grime, I see garage, I see traditional boom bap and rap. But unless we start to push what those sonics are, left, right, and challenge what the norm is for those genres, we won't become a country with our own sound. We will become another, we will come, become another country that is just recreating what we hear and it's a, it's and I'm really good at it. Yeah, but, but it's a, it's a fairly homogenized sound globally. You know, hip hop. You you can you can pick a trap beat, and you could be from Poland and do it. You know, but like we know grime is from the UK. Mm. You know, we know trap is from you know the south of America. Bloody bloody blah. Um, until we start to challenge those sonic norms, much like the UK did with garage and grime, we won't get to that point. Yeah. So, as a producer, and and even as an artist, I want to see the young guys and girls in Ireland that are making this stuff right now to push that envelope and see where we go. Because the longer we continue to just do the same as what's out there right now, we'll never get to that place that we'd love to, which which they go, there's a very identifiable Irish sound. The only thing that will identify us as an Irish urban act right now is our voice, is, yeah. our, is our accent and how we talk. And pushing into it. That's it. Yeah. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. Never say never, but... Um, it's going to be a challenge. There is definitely acts coming through, I think, with that energy now. So people will bring confidence of younger people. And I think I can see it happening. Um, how have social and cultural movements in Ireland helped shape the music scene? How have they? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, t- two, of the very, two of the biggest and most important referendums in the last number of years have really liberated um, young Ireland in many ways. It's mobilized young Ireland in the sense that we now believe that when we get together, our voice matters, our voice counts. And that that confidence stems or it starts with that group of people, but it feeds so much more in terms of society and culture. And um, whether you are pro or, you know, yes or no in, in either of the referendums. So that loosens what I call the shackles of old Catholicism that was kind of for me, really restricting a lot of confidence and a lot of creativity and a lot of liberation in Ireland for young people. And w- when things like that happen, it a new generation of thoughtfulness, creativity, confidence starts to emerge. And that can emerge, you know, via music, 
or you know other parts of the arts or literature but things like that happening in our culture right now and, and in our society have really liberated um our country and that feeds itself in so many different ways back into into the art and into music so that's an amazing thing and then culturally when we look at the makeup of the country right now we're not no we're no longer you know a, a singularly white you know Ireland mm. we are now like a, a multicultural exciting and vibrant um, country in all of our cities around um, and that's an amazing thing um, we are a country known for you know having an incredible way with words and an incredible way with language we're poets we literally we really really are and for a young person in Ireland male or female um, the, the first point of any sort of creativity, whether it's my amazing raps that I wrote when I was 11 or 12 years of age. Which I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no. Um, that's the first destination for a lot of people is to pick that pencil up and, you know, uh, or pick up the phone these days, you know, and type those lyrics in. Um, and it's, it's a great form of expression. And it, there's a purity in that, you know, there's a real purity in that, whether it's spoken word or, or rap. So let's go back to your music for a minute. If you could collaborate with anyone apart from Mango, obviously, <laughs> who would it be? Um, it would probably be Mike Skinner, if I could. Yeah, he's, I mean... You've met him, so he's not, I don't think he's too far <laughs> you removed. You don't think he's unattainable, the, no? I don't think he's unattainable <laughs> He was all. liking a few pictures of mine on Instagram I for a little mean, while, but I don't know, he kind of fell off for a minute. Slide into those DMs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I would love to work with him. He changed everything for me um, when he released original poem material. Mango said the exact same thing. Mm. Yeah, and then, like, that's one of the reasons that me and Mango um, like work so well together because we share a lot of the same influences and um, we share a lot of the kind of same musical attitudes. Um, but Mike Skinner would be amazing. I was a big Michael Jackson fan growing up, um, but I don't know what a math man Michael Jackson record might sound like. <laughs> you know, that might be a bit weird. Um, there's a lot of artists, um, even right now in Ireland, in terms of the, the, the people that are coming through. It's it's really, really exciting. But the one is definitely Mike Skinner. I think down. that's I think that's totally in your future. I swear <laughs> I believe it. I'm putting it in the universe. Talk to me now as an independent artist about what that landscape looks like in that country in this country. I know we were kind of having a little bit of a conversation off mic mm -hmm. about maybe some of the difficulties. So maybe tell me about the pros and cons. Well, for me. I haven't been around this for for quite some time now, uh, and looking at the looking at the the scene at a macro level, I I just feel that the infrastructure around Irish music and Irish urban music is not growing at the same rate as the creative talent and the musical talent. Um, where we have, we have a massive deficit in terms of managers, agents, PR companies, um, publishers, labels. And all of the moving parts that come into having a career in music. A career in music is not just being able to make music and put it out there for, um, for people to consume. That's not a career in music. You will not make money do, doing that alone. You need to tour, you need to merchandise, um, you need to collaborate with brands, etc., etc. Because the revenue stream for music is no longer just off a physical sale or a stream. It's like it's terrible the amount of money that you make off of that. So in order to do all of these other things, um, you need help. And why do you think that deficit is there? I mean, is it like an issue with college courses? Is it, do you know what I mean? Like, is it just that people are getting creatively confident so that element of the music industry is growing, but maybe the more businessy and admin side isn't catching up? Like, why is there an imbalance? It's a tough one to answer because we're living it right now. Mm. And 
we're, we're I'm kind of only making these um, references and statements about it right now because I, I I only see it now. Um, it's tough. It's, it's a really, really interesting point. It's yeah. not something I've ever spoken to anyone about before, but now that you say it, it's so glaringly obvious. Yeah, it is. And like, it, it becomes more obvious to me because I am now an artist looking to have a career. I'm now an artist saying to myself, I've, I feel like I've taken it as far as I possibly can on my own or with this group that I now need help. In terms of booking, distribution... All of all of the ancillary parts that that come into having uh, or being an artist, you yeah. know, and it's management, um, it's touring, it's all of these other parts that that help you have a career Marketing, in music. Yeah, all of that. So, um, when you look around and you say to yourself, "Okay, I need this now. Where do I get it?" And I look around in Ireland and say, "Well, there's not too many opportunities for me to, you know, approach somebody here because I don't feel like there's the right people here, or there's enough of the right people here, or whatever it might be." So, um. And you say that in reference to cities that have the infrastructure and a real solid music scene, p places like London, New York, Atlanta, Toronto, et cetera, et cetera. You look at those and you say, wow, they have talent incubation there for artists. They have clear and defined steps for artists to go from A to B to C to D and you know, move their career forward. In Ireland, for me, when I look around, I don't see that. Mm. And I don't know what why that is. I think because traditionally our music scene has all of our great talent has gone out of Ireland first, and then you know maybe being successful there and, and come back. So they've never had to look for that infrastructure here in Ireland alone. And mm. um, I know that in many cases people want to be artists before they want to be managers, um, or before they want to be publishers or uh, agents or any of these other things. In a lot of cases, um. The artist is the only route that a lot of people, and in some cases, it's the guys and girls that don't end up being artists, and they go, "Well, look, it hasn't worked out for me, but I'm really good at this." They end up becoming managers, and I want to be in the industry. Yeah, yeah. exactly, and, and that's so people are to falling into it rather than having a clear progression yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, places like BIM, and uh, we you talk about colleges and that. Um, yeah, and I think there's a course in Ballyfermot as well. That that yeah, Ballyer has traditionally had had a, a music management course. Um, I just don't know if that's that's enough, but those things help, and yeah. they really, really do help. And maybe, you know, maybe we're five years away from us getting to a point where an artist can start in Ireland and look around and have all of the bits that they need yeah. around them. Um, but Ireland is small, you know, it's a small country, um, and maybe what we have is reflective of the size of our country. Um, but I do know you can't, unless you're like, unless you're like Damo Dempsey or Sinead O'Connor or something like that where you can come out and you can do four nights in Vicar Street every year, a couple of shows in Vicar Street or um, the Ivy Gardens, go to Dubai, do a tour in Australia. You know, like, it's, I've mentioned Dubai and Australia there. They've had to go outside the country. You know what yeah. I mean? They still can't do enough in Ireland alone to, you know, to, to really kind of have the money there to justify being a musician. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. That, that side of it doesn't excite me about Ireland yeah we're small mm. but it's just going to be something that develops and do you think that's an issue with urban music or is it music as a whole like do you think if you guys are playing guitars in a band that you would have a similar issue with finding management I don't know because and it would be unfair of me to say yes or no because I you don't, don't have that experience yeah exactly and I because I, I don't know like if there's like a rock band out there right now that 
that are popping and they could go and They're get management. They're in the exact same position yeah. as you. And yeah. they might be able to pick up the phone and or you know email somebody and get the right person. I don't know. It's 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 really tough for me to say. But I just know in a genre like this that's still growing and developing that you know traditionally. <sighs> We're just they, we wouldn't have time. experience in how to sell this or position it or package it or how to move it forward. I think a lot of that is happening now. And in, as, as I say, like four or five years, there's going to be the young guy or girl that has grown up with this exactly. and knows the ins and outs of it. They go, okay, this is how we're going to do that. This is how we're going to do this. So um, It's going to take some time. Oh, totally. Yeah. And the scene will take some time. Yeah, um, it's still in its infancy. Totally, but it's very exciting to know where that where this whole thing is going to go. Exactly. So let's talk about live music. How important is that to you and to the urban scene as a whole? Well, to me, it's um, there's, there's a great satisfaction knowing that there's something that you've written in your bedroom, which is where most of this music gets written for any kind of urban or street music artists around the world. Initially, it gets written in your bedroom. You want to take it to a studio and polish it there. Um, to notice people are kind of consuming that music in their headphones, on the Lewis, on the bus, at home, at house parties, whatever it might be, DJs are playing it. To know that they're doing that stuff with a record that you've written in your bedroom is an amazing thing. That there's no, That's just incredible to me, and I love that. It's so satisfying, and that, that fills me with, with motivation and ambition to know that, okay, I need to do more. Just let me keep doing more, keep doing more. And when you go out and stage, people will sing back your yeah. lyrics. Ah, that's that's even wilder. It's it's incredible. Um, but the live side of it is just even more powerful. Well, that's me. your bread and butter, Mango and Mathman. That's where yeah. you guys shine because they're big tracks. And as much as you can have so much fun listening to them pre-drinks and getting ready and in your earphones, it's when you guys play live that mm. people hit the roof. Yeah, and like that's the... That's the raver in me, you know, because I used to love going to clubs um, and all of the musical influences that I've had over the years. It's always been that. Um, I remember coming, I remember going to see The Prodigy one time and I saw them in the Olympia and I felt like I'd been assaulted after I came out of the show. Not by the people in the mosh pit or anything like that, was part of it, but I felt like I was assaulted by the music and the visual dynamic of just this power coming through. And that's, there's a, there's a sense of that in what I try to do in terms of the music and how that can really punch you or hit you when you when you listen to it in a, in a live show and then mango doing his thing as well and like i don't honestly i don't think there's a better front man in the country than mango when he's when he's on for, like on form he's he's really great so when you combine those two things the music and and the show the visuals and the lights i mean Everyone does say that about us. Yeah. You know, the live show. It's is, a live show. Yeah, 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 yeah. So speaking of live music, let's get down to the reason why we're here. So the Hennessy Midnight Circus of Body and Soul, tell me a little bit about that. How did you get involved and what is it? Myself and Hennessy had a conversation um, around Christmas of uh, last year and they were considering moving into this space, into um, uh, festivals and, and live music. And um, they approached me and said, look, we'd love to have you involved and for you to be part of uh, us doing that. And um, for me, that was a great honor because Hennessy is a brand that's synonymous with hip hop music. And they have, Hennessy themselves have a great history of supporting uh, the arts and music in, in Ireland anyway. So it made me a hell of a lot more comfortable in that kind of collaboration and, and the relationship. And the fact that this was Hennessy's first time ever to in Ireland to start moving into into live music at festivals that to me was like a real it was an exciting challenge and proposition so um it was just great to work with them and we've had a, a really good working relationship um since christmas 
And did they give you an urban brief for the Midnight Circus tent? Was that what you were told to go with? Yeah, well, they see what I see right now in a sense that urban music is probably the most exciting genre in Ireland right now. It's one of the most active. We're having so many incredible artists coming out of this scene. And Hennessy, with their kind of long-standing relationship with hip-hop globally, you know, Nas was one of their ambassadors. Um, I think Eric Abadu might have been at one point as well. Um, they have that history, and they're trying to use that history to support Irish urban music in the same way. So they're trying to help grow this and give it the platform that it needs. Because I talk about this in, in, in a couple of different um, interviews in the past, is that in order for this to grow in terms of the Irish urban music scene, we need the platform and we need the profile. It can no longer exist under the parapet or underground. It needs profile. And a brand like Hennessy to get behind something like this at one of the biggest festivals in the country is an amazing thing. So Hennessy believe in supporting this in a real way. They're not trying to tack on. No, not... it's a real authentic fit. It's not just a brand jumping on the new cool thing in Ireland or no. trying to have a presence at a festival. Absolutely not. And for them to say to me, I have entire like and complete freedom with the curation of this, like they didn't interfere once with that. It was an amazing thing. And they also felt that we need to represent Ireland on this too. If we're going to support this in, in a real way, Ireland needs to be represented. And that's why... Uh, it's such an amazing thing that this is 50% Irish in terms of the acts. Hennessy were so kind and like so smooth with it. They said, look, you take whatever you want to do, you do it. It's fine by us. You just go. And that, to That's have what that, you want when you're working with totally, a brand, to be trusted. There's nothing better. And that just, freedom, it was just amazing. Yeah. Like We didn't have to go tick this box or tick that box or get this person. It's grand. Go do what you want. So um, between myself and the booker, uh, with body and soul we approached everybody that um that we wanted we got everybody that we wanted that's amazing um, oh it's incredible even to, to like because festival season in Ireland is heavy right now like there's so many festivals and the competition for artists and to and to book them and get them for your stage is really kind of it's like it's hard yeah like I don't think I've ever heard of someone getting everyone on their wish list <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's amazing and um, there was one person that we we didn't get because they ended up getting booked by um uh, by another festival but he was an extra person on top of what we we had so the initial it list. yeah it was so it was perfectly fine so when you were putting together this wish list what are you looking for in an act for the midnight circus at body and soul the biggest thing for me was to bring a lineup to body and soul that would excite people but they wouldn't have seen before in ireland so because urban music has has had this resurgence in the last two years we have Great acts coming to play in our, you know, um, in our clubs uh, and places like the Academy, etc. The et Academy, I cannot get yeah. over every time I get a press release for their latest gig. It's someone else. Insane. It's amazing. So like, all, of, all of these venues are popping right now with, with, with a lot of acts. And then we have other big festivals that almost have now exclusively an urban booking policy. And I'm like, okay. How do I go up against that? There's that. And how do I create something that's going to, be completely and different stand out from that <laughs> against yeah. all of this other stuff you know so compete but stand out big time so i was looking at irish debuts that was an important one for me to try and get people that had never played here before but are like either on the wave of becoming like massive or are actually really big right now and there's a slightly alternative or altness to i guess 
the bookings that I have there, which is more so the strain of music that I'm into. Like for me to have Miss Banks at this is an amazing thing. Like she's just rhythm and bass and just attitude. Like she's, and her flow is uh, crazy. Like she's amazing, amazing. So that for me was like wow, incredible. Um, to have Octavian. You know, both of them actually is their Irish festival debut. You That's know, huge. and nobody like I know Octavian. Everyone talks about Octavian right now. I couldn't believe that he hadn't played anywhere when we when we did the research. Um, so to have the two of those at, at stage, I am DDB. She, I know she's played here once or twice, but she's just I love a her. monster. She's like huge, and she's just so good. Um, and then which fills me with even more joy is the fact that um, I can have Jafaris. Um, who's just right now, he's a phenom, um, he's a workhorse, the new album is incredible, the show is amazing. Um, is the, he going to play the live show? Is he going to yeah, have a band? Yeah, he's going to do yeah. the whole, the whole, the full Jafara show. Nice. Um, we get to play, there's, there's no way I'm putting a stage like that together and not having us on it, you know. And then um, have Kneecap there as well. And to have Kneecap to me is an important thing because that needs to be represented. Absolutely, Belfast lads. Rapping Osquelga. All of that. Yeah. What they have to say. What they have to satirical say. Satirical or otherwise. That needs to be represented. And, and also going to be a great festival show. Like oh, they're going to bring it's the wild. crack. Yeah, what, it's yeah. wild. Like craziness. Um, so to have those, to have that, to balance out the international with, with yours. Because I really, really believe, I, I say this all the time, the talent that we have here can stand shoulder to shoulder with its international counterparts. It's just not always given the opportunity to do so. So to be able to do that on the Hennessy Midnight Circus stage was a, was a great thing. So I'm really, really happy with it. And is curating a stage over six months something that you found stressful? Is it a lot of work? Where do you even begin? Is it emails? Is it lots of listening? Yeah, it's... Well, I guess I think because I live and breathe this on a, on a daily basis, I'm, I'm up to speed on on, on the, the kind of the landscape as it is right now. Um, and who my instincts will always lead me. I'm like, I would love to see that. I want to go and I see this whole lineup, and I'm not just yeah. saying it because he's sitting opposite me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's how I feel. Of like, I, I would love to see this, and I would love to see that. Um, I, I was just raging. We couldn't do three days, and that's the truth. I wanted to do the whole weekend, and I said that's the, like the first thing. I was like, let's do the whole weekend. Let's just do the whole lot. They were like, no, let's start off. Let's do one day at a time. All yeah. right, let's do that. Um, but you got it in their heads for next year. I hope so. Mm. <laughs> I hope so. So if you had to sum up people who are listening to this, who are heading down to the festival, or to make people jealous who don't have tickets, what can we expect from the Midnight Circus? I just think it's going to be raucous from beginning to end. Um, from the, the, the moment that opens, um, I think DJ Moke is going to open the stage and he'll just have the place hopping. Um, after that, I can't reveal the the kind of the lineup and who's who's on when. Who's playing when? Yeah, yeah. but from the get go, that place is just going to be nonstop. I've e- no doubt you've got a nice flow between energy. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Well, I mean, there's it's all pretty high energy in terms of the act. So, um, no, it's it, the whole thing is just going to be raucous. That's the only way I can put it. So get there if you're oh, going down yeah, to body yeah. and soul. Just that come is where park you need up in. The Midnight Circus on the Friday, you will not be disappointed. So we've talked a lot about other people's music, your influence on them, the acts that you're creating, that you're curating, that you're bringing over for the Midnight Circus. Let's talk about your music for a second. You have a new album on the way, Mango Mathman. It's coming. Am I allowed to say? Yeah, no, it is. It's coming, it's In coming. September. Can you it tell is. us anything else? 
Yeah, so casual work um, was literally wrapped up a couple of days ago. Um, the final mix and master session uh, went down um, in my good friend's studio in the Fusion Lab. Uh, big love to Martine and Ivan out there. Um, so yeah, it's done. It's been, you know, it's probably, in all honesty, been four years in the writing because this album started before we even put the EP out. And we were on the journey with an album at that time that we felt was too soon for Ireland and that the EP made more sense. So we put the EP out and we established ourselves as that act, you know, that live, raw, energetic kind of um, bass music act. And um, since then, we've been quietly chipping away at the album. We've had a couple of setbacks, unfortunately, um, two of those being lost studio sessions. We lost half of the album twice, I think it was, and we had to restart. That's um, tough. It's a heartbreaker. And one of the worst things in the world for me ever is to go back over old material and restart. Um, but we had to because we believed in the music and what we had was good. So um, we've been doing that. And I think, you know, in the last year and a half, we've really just kind of had tunnel vision with it to try and get it done as much as we can because, you know, we have, you know, both have full-time jobs as well as everything else that we do. Um, so it's hard to get that balance right. Um, and we could probably both argue that we both have two full-time jobs Yeah. in a sense that we, absolutely. We, you know, we make our money um, one way and then, you know, we satisfy our creative selves um, in another way through our music. So in the last, you know, 16 to 18 months, um, we've been working hard on casual work um, and it's now at a point that we're really, really happy with it and very, very proud of it. And I think it'll be, um, well, actually, I hope it's going to be a real landmark for Irish music. And how many tracks are we getting? And is it all new stuff or have we heard snippets before? It's the majority of this is uh, new music. 90% of it is. People might be familiar with maybe one, maximum two songs from live shows that we've been kind of road testing on and off. Um, and they'll probably know Lord Hear Us. Um, because we put the remix of Lord Heroes out um, a year ago with our good friend Days um, on the on the chorus. Um, that became a remix simply because we were doing a show with an orchestra um, in the National Concert Hall and then in the Barbican. So I wrote that remix because it fit the grandeur of um, a, a, a venue like that or, or those. I thought you played on Culture Night, didn't I? That was something else. Ah. That was something else. Yeah. Um, so the remix came out because, as I said, the, the original was just like, it's way too heavy. But the original uh, sits on the album and that's probably going to take somebody's head off when they play in their car or in their headphones or whatever it might be. But other than that, this is all new music. There's a few incredible collaborations on there, um, which I, I can't talk about. But when they, when they drop, I think people are going to go, I can't believe this. I really can't believe it. I would never put those guys with that person or that person. Oh, I'm excited. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really am too. And I really hope um, it becomes something that people care about the same way I've cared about some great albums coming from Ireland over the last number of years. So that's always been my aim. Um, the aim is not about numbers for me. The aim is about art. And once that can live with somebody now and once they can live with somebody in 10 years' time and still have the same sentiment and the same feeling, that was the objective. So, um it's met my own expectations, which I can't believe. It's which are probably the highest. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can't wait for the world to hear it. So come September, um, we will release casual work.
Thank you so much for joining me in the studio today for a very interesting interview and I look forward to hearing what's coming from you in September. Thank you, Hannah. Do you know what? I'm really happy that we got this chance to have a conversation because you're deadly at what you do. Thanks a million. This is a new era brought to you by Hennessy.